Hello, everyone, and welcome to this special edition of Employment Matters, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host, Pete Waltz. Along with bringing you updates and critical information happening all around the world, we're always fortunate to have the chance to bring in our local ELA lawyers. These good folks practice on the ground in jurisdictions all around the world, working daily to help their clients move through difficult times. On the program, we span the globe with updates on critical issues from ELA members in each region. Today, we're chatting from two members from our Manitoba, Canada firm. Joining us on the program is Mark Allward, associate at Taylor McCaffrey, and a moderator on our Employment Matters Canada episode, and Jeff Palomar, his partner at Taylor McCaffrey. Today, our guests are gonna talk about off-duty misconduct. Jeff, Mark, welcome to the program. How are you guys doing? Terrific, Pete. Thanks for having us today. Doing really well, Peter. Pleasure to be back on Employment Matters. Wonderful. So let's talk about this. This is an issue, again, I know we're going to cover it. You guys are from Canada, but it's one really that all of our lawyers and all of our clients, frankly, deal with, which is what happens when people are off duty and do things that are outside of the scope of what we would expect them to do as good employees. So one thing that employers struggle with is what to do when they behave poorly off duty. Can you guys give our listeners some information on what an employer should do in order to deal with this kind of conduct? And Jeff, let's start with you. Sure thing, Pete. Thanks very much. Some start with what I would say is a widespread myth that what employees do while away from the workplace or on their own time is completely their business. Employers have no say in that. That's just wrong. On the other side is the equally mistaken belief that the employer rules. And anytime an employee does something the employer doesn't like, even outside of the workplace or on his own time, means the employer can fire the employee. And again, that's wrong. The reality is quite different than either extreme. Disciplining for off-duty conduct is tricky, subtle, and highly contextual. Differences on the facts make a big difference in the results, and it's certainly not a one-size-fits-all question and answer. I've seen circumstances where the very same misconduct in one situation may warrant dismissal, but might not at all warrant any discipline in a very different set of circumstances. So what you need to do is look objectively and fairly at who did exactly what, when, and place that into the specific context to appreciate and assess what occurred and what should result. The onus, of course, is on the employer to prove that the employee has done something wrong and that the specific wrong in that specific context warrants the particular discipline levied. Might be dismissal, might be a suspension, might be a warning, might be something else, but it's up to the employer to prove its case. It's not personality driven in the sense that certain people get more or less freedom to act, but it's objective and context-based. What type of work does the employee do? How long has the person been employed? What's his past record like? What's occurred in the workplace in the past? Is this, is this the sort of thing that has happened in the workplace before? And if so, what happened? Where is the work done? Which, of course, impacts in part possible standards of conduct and how known or notorious is what occurred. So it's, it's a complicated thing. It's very contextual. Mark, what do you say? Thanks, Jeff. That's a great high-level overview of off-duty misconduct, but I think we need to focus a little bit on specifics here. So an employer actually has to show that the employee's conduct has a real connection to the workplace and meets at least one of the criteria that's set out in some case law. And of course, the more criteria that that meets, the better for the employer. So first, the conduct of the employee harms the employer's reputation or brand or product. These are things like moral clauses for athletes who endorse a brand or a product, and then they publicly embarrass themselves and get fired for that. It's an easier analysis, an easier thing to look into if there's an actual pre-agreement with respect to conduct, but that's not necessary in all circumstances. 
The second criteria would be the conduct renders the employee unable to perform their employment obligations. So if the employee is required to drive or have a pilot's license and they receive some sort of administrative penalty where they can't drive or they don't have a pilot's license or that may be suspended for a period of time, that can be cause for discipline from an employer. The third criteria would be conduct that leads to a refusal, a reluctance, or an inability of other employees to work with the particular employee. However, there may be workarounds, particularly if there's a human rights issue involved where accommodation to the point of undue hardship is required. Then for the other employees, they may not like working with that particular employee, but as a matter of human rights law, they may have to. Fourth would be a serious breach of the criminal code. Of course, in Canada, you are innocent until proven guilty, but whatever happens in a criminal case, whether convicted or not, the important thing is what objectively did the employee do? The last criteria would be the conduct itself inhibits the employer's ability to efficiently manage and direct the workforce. So this can be something where the employer now has lost the ability to properly manage their workforce and the people that work for them. Mark, I agree with what you're saying. The, the five factors you've mentioned certainly apply, but I would still bring it back to the specific context, though. All of this has to be considered in the context of the specific employee and that employee's work history with the employer. Uh, the work history, of course, includes things like the length of employment, disciplinary history, if any, nature of the work and duties. And what may be a problem for certain employees may not be a problem at all for others who work less in the public and have less exposure to the public. And Jeff, of course, you're right on that point. And just to tack on to that, we also have to consider the current environment. Actions that may have been inappropriate in the past may not be such a big deal now. For example, in Canada, we have legalized recreational cannabis. So the usage of cannabis would, of course, now not be something that is misconduct unless there was a specific reason why. And inverse to that, what may have been appropriate or at least not serious in the past may now be very serious due to changing environments. Think about travel or breaches of public health requirements designed to address the COVID-19 pandemic situation. Well, gents, you both make a really good argument here that there clearly are two sides to every situation, especially now with COVID. You know, employers are faced with employees all the time ignoring public health orders, you know, making their own decisions based on personal preference. And in that sort of situation, we really have to think about what an employer can do. So let's let's play a little game here if we can. I'd like to take both sides of this and have you argue both of those sides. So for this one, Jeff, if you can make some points in favor of discipline and take the position of the employer, and then Mark, if you can make some points in favor of no discipline and take the position of the employee. Jeff, go ahead. Absolutely, Pete. Thanks very much. And I'll share some facts with you, which are based on a real life situation. On the verge of some lockdown orders being announced, and again, note that the lockdown orders are not yet in place. They're, they've been announced as coming, but they're not yet in effect. Coming in the days ahead, some staff at a ski resort in British Columbia went out to a bar and danced and partied the night away in what was obviously a very non-socially distanced, no mask wearing event. There was video of this event shown both on social media and the regular media, so quite notorious. The employer saw the video, recognized some of its staff at this event and fired them. And from the employer perspective, we're acted quite appropriately. We're in a situation where there is a health crisis, an economic crisis, restrictions largely necessary to try and fight this horrible situation. 
And while it appreciates and everyone appreciates, no one likes restrictions, but all of us are being asked to do our part in a fight against COVID. And the employer felt it had to do the right thing to send a message to the employees and to the public that it was committed to doing what it could to fight COVID. So we're, we're in a situation where the, the pandemic was a crisis for all concerned. Obviously, what is required in certain circumstances varies by geography and timing. But in that particular situation, in that particular city, at that particular time, there was a crisis and dramatic circumstances were required. And the employer insisted on people living up to not just to the spirit of the law, not just the letter of the law, pardon, but the spirit of the law as well. Plain and obviously a serious, substantial breach of the law here, flaunting of the law, one could say. It wasn't just an innocent or dumb mistake where somebody showed up at a mall, didn't quite have their mask on properly. This was, this was abusive. There was video here that was posted in a public space. Certain employees could be identified in the video, blatantly against public health orders in the midst of a global pandemic, the likes of which we hadn't seen in a century. Breaches remarkably serious and have to be treated as substantial. Consequences were required and the employer acted appropriately in my view, to terminate these people who had acted recklessly. Beyond that, there's a strong chance, of course, that even if these employees were not terminated and came back to work, they could infect others in the workplace, not safe for others. And the employer, of course, has a duty to act reasonably so as to maintain a safe workplace. And it had to take action in the circumstance. I would suggest as well that there's a super strong chance that the other employees who were not at this big party would not be happy about their colleagues coming back to the workplace after a super spread event like this and trying to work with them. Choices bear consequences and termination was appropriate because of the significant breaches of reasonable standards of conduct by the employees. Mark, I'm sure you have a different perspective. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, I'm going to take the opposite view from you on this one. I think this is a situation where clearly the employees did not behave in a way that we would like them to. It likely warrants some discipline, but in my view, termination is excessive discipline in the circumstances. These are employees that are working in hospitality. This is an industry that was about to be shut down as a result of these new public health orders. But I think it's very important to note that the public health orders weren't in effect yet. And so, yes, they didn't comply with the spirit of the law, but Technically, they did comply with the letter of the law. So they were obeying the law as it was at the time. With these additional restrictions, it appeared as if the employees would be laid off anyway. So there was no way that they were going to be prevented from actually working or doing their jobs. There was no impact on their work. And while the employees could potentially be identified in the video, there are, of course, concerns over things like mistaken identities in video evidence such as this. And while they could be identified, if you knew who they were, there's very little to nothing that actually links the employees to the employer in the video. There may be the odd t-shirt that names the employer, but those were not necessarily only worn by employees. They're not wearing a t-shirt that says employee on the back or the front. So there's not really a connection here between the employer and this action. And there's not an impact between this action to the employer. That's really important. So how does the employer's reputation get harmed if the employees aren't connected? And in my view, it doesn't. Of course, other employees may refuse to work with these employees who violated the health orders, but we could likely make that work in some way. We could put these employees in situations where they are doing maintenance work or doing trails or working on the ski resort in the chalet or working on the slopes in a way that they're not going to actually be next to people or see people or work with those people directly. 
all things told, in my view, termination in this situation is excessive, but some discipline for sure would be appropriate. Perhaps a written warning, perhaps a short suspension, but termination is, is not appropriate in the circumstances. Well, interesting approach, guys. Good argument. Let's try another one if we can. This one non-pandemic related. And let's flip this around. Mark, you point out the arguments for the employer this time. And Jeff, you do that for the employee. Do you have another fact situation or another case that we can do or something that's more common without the pandemic involved? Mark? Thanks, Pete. Let's do an impaired driving issue. Unfortunately, something that occurs far too frequently. So we'll use a real life fact situation here. An assistant fire chief employed for 23 years and the last 13 as assistant fire chief was pulled over and impaired at the time. It's very clear that he has a lot of experience and was a high ranking official and he was off duty while he was pulled over for driving impaired, but he was in a fire chief vehicle. So he was in a vehicle that belonged to the employer. However, the police officer administered an administrative penalty only not a criminal charge. So the individual's driver's license was suspended for 90 days, but there were no criminal charges laid. And the employer terminated his employment. Now, this employee had no prior discipline at all and was forthright, honest, distraught, and remorseful about the incident. He, in fact, reported it to his supervisor. Some factors in favor of significant discipline here are the connection to the workplace. And there's a direct connection because he was pulled over in a fire chief vehicle, and that vehicle was in fact impounded. This clearly connects the conduct to the workplace and to the employer. And there are also concerns here about the employee not being able to perform his duties due to his 90-day administrative driver's license suspension. 90 days where he can't drive significantly impacts his ability to do his job over that three-month period. And there was likely a breach of the criminal code here. While that was not pursued for whatever reason, but the police officer being lenient or exercising their discretion does not change the action and what the employee did. This is a very serious breach of the law and it's very serious misconduct. It's a serious lapse in judgment from someone who has a role of trust within the organization and to be in a marked deputy chief vehicle makes this even worse. Termination is appropriate in the circumstances. Jeff, I assume that you're going to take the opposite view here. Mark, you are absolutely correct. I would argue some penalties appropriate, but certainly not termination in these particular circumstances. And a few reasons I'd say that are as follows. One is no criminal charges were laid. Number two, there was absolutely no media attention. So the public is not aware of this. So no real impact on the employer or its credibility or reputation. Number three, yes, the employee was driving an employer vehicle. You said it was marked as such. In fact, I believe by the facts that, as I understood the case, the vehicle was not marked as such. In any event, it was an employer vehicle, which was impounded. So you're correct on that. But I don't believe it was, it was highlighted as a fire chief vehicle, if you will. I acknowledge the role this gentleman played was one of responsibility, but he was behind the scenes rather than the public face of the organization. He was administrative rather than someone who faced the cameras and the media where credibility admittedly is required. Also, various mitigating factors apply. He was there 23 years, 23 years as an employee with absolutely no discipline on his past record. He felt bad. He felt remorseful. He came forward proactively. He fell on his sword and owned it exactly what an employee should do if they've made a mistake and are genuine about their remorse and genuine about their misconduct and wanting to make amends. 
clearly a one-time transgression. And who amongst us has not made a mistake in their lives? And not to minimize what occurred, and very seriously, he drove when he should not have, but with due respect, who amongst us has not ever made a mistake and driven when perhaps one should not have? Unfortunately, that's something that, that's occurred far too often in the past. doesn't excuse it, but it contextualizes it, which is important to appreciate. The fact he was not criminally charged points to the likelihood that the level of impairment for him was there, but it was probably modest because we have to assume the police officer would be doing his job and would in fact have charged him criminally if it were appropriate to do so. The officer chose to exercise some discretion, which suggests it was an appropriate thing to do, that he was not as impaired as others might have been. As far as not having his license for a period of time, okay, that's a problem. There's no question about that, but there are workarounds. He can have a driver work with him to the extent he needs to drive. He can bring a spouse. He can bring someone else who can drive him. He can be assigned to other duties for the 90 days. It's not insurmountable. It's a challenge, but it's something that can be accommodated. There happily was no accident, no damage done to the vehicle. No one was hurt happily. And one other mitigating factor, which you conveniently forgot to mention, was he had some support from his colleagues. There was a petition of 24 co-workers saying he's a good guy. We support him. We want him to stay with us. We want him to, to be able to stay working with us. Situation where it's clear discipline's appropriate, no debate there, but the degree of discipline has to be proportional, something to always keep in mind. It's misconduct, significant misconduct of that, but not termination. At most, a suspension without pay would be adequate here. And Jeff, just to jump in on that, this case actually did go to court and the judge agreed with you. The judge said that termination was an excessive response by the employer, but a lengthy suspension without pay was appropriate. The court really considered that the public would likely have allowed the transgression and not have demanded termination as the response, but they would have, of course, required something. Yeah, interesting comments by the judge, Mark. And just to be clear, that doesn't mean there's a public referendum, if you will, on whether or not it's appropriate for the person to keep his job. It doesn't go to a vote in, in the press to see whether the person warrants keeping a job or not. But the judge was making the comment in the context of, yeah, this was misconduct that was not so outrageous that it warranted dismissal. Thanks, Jeff. And just through these examples, we really see that this is such a contextual and fact-based situation, disciplining for off-duty conduct. Every situation is unique, and people with experience in these areas can take reasonable positions and emphasize different facts in order to make a reasonable argument on either side. This is not a science. It, it is more of an art and a balancing act finding the appropriate discipline, the proportional discipline in any instance. Well, gentlemen, this has been a very interesting discussion. And I guess, you know, now that many of us still work from home, our conduct at home, especially if we're on the internet or somewhere else, can also be measured under the same standards. So great conversation. Appreciate the count, Pointer Corner. I guess you guys in real life do get along, so that's nice to know. But anyway, it was really great to have you. Thanks so much for your time, Mark and Jeff. If you'd like to connect with Mark or Jeff, you can find their bios by clicking on their names in the description of this podcast. Please visit ela.law to receive invitations for our upcoming webinars, download white papers, get access to on-demand content from our library, or use the ELA's exclusive Global Employer Handbook. You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Pete Waltz. Thanks for listening.